I want to say a quick little shout out. I know we've got some visitors and guests here that have come um, just as a result of uh, seeing some TikTok stuff. And I want you guys to know um, that I really do dance like that. No, I'm just kidding. It wasn't a dance. Um, I really want you to know that uh, we as a church, we are an inclusive church. We do embrace everybody and celebrate them exactly where they're at. It's not a gimmick. It's not a um, something to get you in the door and then we switch it on you. There's no bait and switch. We really do see every, um, every child of God the same way. And we believe that every child of God has a destiny and a future and an opportunity to not just find a church family, but to be loved like family. So come on, do you believe that, church? Um, I got a message. I don't share these a ton, but I got a message at six something this morning. I want to read it to you. Um, Because you say, Pastor Dan, you know, we see some signs outside. We see maybe some stuff that's that's um, being included that we haven't included in our social media. And, and I want to tell you why we're doing it. Uh, it's not just about Sarasota. Um, um, I had somebody here on Instagram send me a message. And this happens not just on Instagram, but through various means and some of the harvest pages and my personal pages, but said, hey, Pastor Dan, I love, um, I live over in Houston, Texas. I'm a student and a U.S. Navy veteran. I saw a clip of one of your um, TikToks regarding LGBTQ plus and church. I've struggled with those issues for quite some time, and I want to say thank you because I haven't heard a sermon with that kind of heart or love ever, and it brought me to tears knowing that there are pastors like yourself out there. I was alienated by my church in my hometown, and I was condemned by my own family. I started to turn my back on Christ but I stumbled upon that clip and it made me feel safe. Thank you, pastor. You're doing amazing things. I want to, I want to rephrase that and say, thank you, church. You are doing amazing things because this isn't possible without you. And so we thank you. And I, for, for uh, um, lack of time, um, maybe every week I'll pick one message to encourage you with because we get them all week long and what the church is doing and what Harvest House is doing um, for communities that are disenfranchised, um, whether it's this community or a homeless mom with her kids or an unaccompanied youth that was kicked out of their home, what we're doing for groups of people that seem to be forgotten in society as an organizational, as a whole, I am so proud of and you are a huge part of it. And so it's like that old song that, that you know, when we get to heaven, um, that the people that will come up and thank us, we, we won't even know their names necessarily. But there's a lot of people whose lives are being changed and affected because of you. And you are brave, not only to come to this crazy church, but to give your hard-earned money to support what God is doing here week after week. You are brave, and it is paying off in dividends in the lives of people. Amen, church? So give yourself one of these. <laughs> and I love being your pastor. Most of you, a couple of you get on my nerves, but most of you, no, I'm just kidding. Um, actually, there's not a person here that gets on my nerves, and I have never been able to say that, all right? Um, <laughs> never been able to say that in church. I can say that now. Uh, so on Wednesday nights, we do a spiritual development class with um, some of the clients of Harvest House. 
and our freedom program. And um, this past week, I talked about something. I know some of you guys and girls are here. I saw you and because I invited you to church this week. So thank you for coming and hanging out with us. It's good to see you, and you can come back any week. But I, um, I, I, I was talking about this topic with them, and I thought, you know, this is not just a, a Wednesday night spiritual development class. I said, I, I want to expand this a little bit further, add some more um, biblical context to it, and bring this topic to you, because I think it is so vitally important. This sermon today is called um, uh, From... Velcro to Teflon, and I'll explain to you that in a moment, but one of the most exciting things that's happening out there today is for, for decades, it seemed like science and faith were going in two polar opposite directions. You all agree with that? If you grew up in the school I grew up in, it was like, and then I went to a Christian school, and then in high school went to a, a not a Christian school, went to a public school, and they were teaching some of the exact opposite things that I was being taught in the Christian school. And I'm like, where's the, uh, where's the connection here, right? And so there was a certain amount of, of mistrust of science that was put in us by uh, those Christian, you know, um, based kind of education systems. And I love this because it seems like, especially when it comes to do with the human mind, with trauma, with certain things having to do with, with how we process our emotions, it seems like science and faith are beginning to come together on some things, which is really exciting. How many of you know that if science and faith are coming together on something, it's probably something we can be pretty, pretty sure on, right? It starts to merge. And so uh, how many of you know that, that faith or Christianity is not the opposite of science, Right? We understand they disagree on some things, but, but science and faith should line up on things. They should come together on things if, if being interpreted and, and analyzed correctly. Well, there's a neuroscientist out there. His name is Rick Hansen, and he has a great analogy for um, our brains. And he wrote in a book after doing extensive studies, he said this, and I want to quote it so you understand. He said, your brain is like Velcro for negative experiences and Teflon for positive ones. When you lose a client, when the investors don't come calling, when you face hundreds of other daily disappointments of life, you're, wor- you're wired to forget all of the good things and to instead obsess over the negative. Um, it's why I chose to read that this morning because I have some messages that aren't that nice. <laughs> All right? And I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you a little bit of biblical background. I don't have a ton of time today. And then I'm going to give you a three-step process that both lines up with Scripture and science to begin to rewire the part of your brain that attaches itself to negative experiences like Velcro and yet somehow, when it comes to positive experiences, it just kind of bounces off like Teflon. I'm going I'm to give you three practical things here in a moment. Um, I'm going to read this because I think it's a, it, it really kind of sets us up. Because um, we can find, for me at least, especially in the church, we can find almost every negative experience 
or at least the general uh, descriptions of negative experiences, we can find them in Jesus' rebuke of the Pharisees. They call it the seven woes. All right? That's not a hip-hop song, okay? It's the seven woes. And I'm not going to read all seven, but I want you to hear some of these things that, that seem to still be perpetuated in faith and in the church and in life today, especially in religion. Scribes and Pharisees sit on Moses' seat. This is found in Matthew 23. I'm going to read so much that just, just listen and you'll get it. So do and observe whatever they tell you, but not the works they do. For they preach, but they do not practice. Sound familiar? They tie up heavy burdens hard to bear. They lay them on people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to move even a finger. Sound familiar? But woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you shut the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. You neither enter yourselves nor allow those who would enter to go in. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you travel across the sea and land to make a single proselyte or, or somebody who's been converted. And when he becomes that, you make him twice as much a child of hell as yourselves. And before I continue this, I want to point out something. They had very similar backgrounds, the Pharisees and Jesus. They agreed on 80% probably, maybe 90% they agreed on. From an outside perspective, if you interviewed them, Jesus and the Pharisees, if you didn't ask the right question, you might think they're in the same camp. But one of them was very different. Because the Pharisees thought that fulfilling or, or, or living up to the standard of the law was the most important thing. And Jesus came and he changed that. And I want to continue to read this. He says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you tithe mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. You blind guides, straining out a gnat and swallowing a camel. Now, I actually hand-selected some, some verses from this because it gets pretty bad. Like Jesus' feelings towards these Pharisees who, who, um, who didn't think their own stuff stunk. <laughs> who were so self-righteous and condemning that they forgot maybe what God had done for them. They had such a negative mindset that they projected their negative mindset on anybody and everybody. And their goal ultimately with Jesus was to trap him, to embarrass him, to show him as a, a, not just a hypocrite, but a fake. They did everything they could to structure their questions, the situations they would put him in, to try to show, to try to discredit him because they knew Listen to me, they knew that if people got a hold of his message, that they were irrelevant. Because the law could only grip you. It could only get its hand on you, but if you shook free of it, it could never grab you again. And the grip they had on people 
And it was all projecting negativity. It was all fear-based. It was all, this is what's going to happen. How dare, you, how dare you heal on the Sabbath? How could you talk to a woman like that? How could you do this? How could you do that? This mindset of, let me tell you how wrong you're doing things. Meanwhile, the fruit of Jesus' life was what? People were being healed, transformed. Miracles were happening. Jesus showed them that living, see, the, the law was transactional but Jesus was transformational. The law was about, if I do this, I get this. Jesus came and said, even if you don't do this, you're still gonna get this because I'm transforming the way the relationship with you and your creator looks like. So if you will hold on and listen to me, as scary as this ride sounds and as different as it sounds from everything you grew up with, I'm transforming your life, not making a transaction out of it. And on Wednesday night, we were talking about what does it live to leave a transform transformational life versus transactional because most of the things in our life are set up in a transactional manner, not transformational. We don't see people change much. I actually told the recovery community that was here on Wednesday night, I said, you guys transform more than even the people maybe on a Sunday morning because the demand to transform is so high they might be facing incarceration. They might be facing losing their children. They might be facing stuff. And a lot of people that are sitting here today on a Sunday morning aren't facing those things. So the demand to transform, to change, isn't as great. And some of the greatest transformations you'll ever find, you'll find in the recovery community. People that in three years' time go from like, whoa, that's a mess, to like, wow, they are a model citizen. And we don't see that outside of that community much. It's amazing the transformation that happens in the recovery community. It's one of the reasons that for years we've been so devoted to the recovery community because it, it, it is astonishing to be a part of seeing people's lives transform so rapidly. They, that really is a community that's gripped the idea of transformation. They've lived the life of transaction, but if they can grip and get a hold of transformation, their entire journey of faith changes. Guess what? It, does, it works that way outside of the, faith, the, the uh, recovery community too. I don't want a church of people or a pastor who are living transactional lives. We will want to live transformational lives. The only way to set ourselves up for success, to stop living transactionally and start living transformationally, is to stop living out of fear, out of regret, out of shame, out of anxiety, out of negativity, and start living a life where we are learning to embrace the things that are actually going right, the things that have changed, allowing our mind to be rewired to not just attach ourselves to negative things. I realized something, um, and, I, and if you look it up, you'll see, the average amount of time that you and I spend with a positive experience or a positive moment like savoring it, 15 seconds. They, they, they've analyzed people's brains, people's brain and they'll like show them a picture of their favorite meal or, or give them their favorite meal. And when the meal's over, 15 seconds later, their mind on average, their mind resets to normal. A negative experience, 15 days. So we have, and this is true, if, if, if on a Sunday morning, 10 of you come up to me afterwards and say, Pastor Dan, 
the words that came out of your mouth today transformed my life in a way that no one ever has. You are a God amongst men. You are brilliant. You are very good looking. You are just, you're a revolutionary. You are just a genius and I love you so, so much as my pastor and thank you. So I'm going to walk out of here a changed person. Ten of you could do that. None of you have, but ten of you could. <laughs> hint, hint. None of you could, none of you have, but ten of you could do that and one person could come up and say, I think that was the dumbest thing I've ever heard and you couldn't talk your way out of a wet paper bag. Which one do you think I'm going to leave here thinking about? Because our minds naturally allow negative experiences, thoughts to attach itself. And we naturally go, oh, whatever. They, maybe they felt like they're going to get closer to God by saying that. I don't know. We dismiss a million ways. So, uh, you know, <laughs> there's a lot of talk in, in the scriptures about this, but I am... Um, I'm going to read this from John 8. See where we're at time-wise. I'm going to read the story of the woman caught in adultery, but I want to use a different version for you. Listen to this. It says, Meanwhile, the law professors and Pharisees led a woman to him who had forcefully been seized in the act of adultery and made her stand in the middle of the throng of people where everyone could stare at her. Well, first of all, let's just stop there for a moment. Religion always wants to expose. Religion always wants to shame. Religion always wants to use the crowd, put them in the center of the room, let everyone know what they're like. It's, 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 it, anytime you see that set up, you know that somebody's operating according to the law. Verse four, then they said unto him, teacher, this woman was caught committing adultery. Another setup from the Pharisees attacking out of fear and negativity. Let's find out what's wrong with her and let's see how you're gonna deal with it. Now Moses commanded us in the law that adulterers should be stoned. What would you say? Verse six, they obviously had a clear agenda to snare him in their efforts to build a case of lawlessness against him. Jesus bent down and began to write his finger on the ground, distracting attention from the girl. They continued to interrogate him. Then he stood up and he looked them in the eyes and he said, he used without sin among you, let him cast the first stone at her. And he began to bend down and continued writing on the ground. They began to walk away one after the other, beginning with the oldest until Jesus was left alone with the girl, still standing there where her accusers had dumped her. That's the other part I'm going to just stop for a moment on, okay? When people operate from a place of religion and law and self-righteousness, they only need people as long as the people are beneficial to them. When the Pharisees no longer could prove a point with this woman, they dumped her. You want to know who your true friends are? You want to know who your true community is? You want to know even leaders that you may or may not want to follow? Do they stick with you when they, still, when they no longer have use for you? Anybody here with me? When you no longer can benefit them, do you still get a phone call? Do you still have them interested in the goodwill of your life? One of the great things that um, we do here is that um, I don't know who writes checks here. I don't know. 90% of the time, I have no idea who gives what here. There's no way for me to, to judge 
what you guys do and don't do. Sometimes I'll get a report if somebody gives a, some big amount and I'll you know, write them a letter just to say thank you or whatever. But um, I don't really know. I don't know. I don't, get, I don't look at the report at the end of the year and see who our top 10 are or our top 20 are or something like that. Um, and what I love about that is there is no, in that system, there is no even temptation to go like, oh, those people used to give, now they're not giving anymore, I'm going to ignore them. Which happens. Because that's transactional. Are you with me today? That's transactional. I no longer have anything to transact with them, therefore, they're not an important part of my world. Versus a transformational mind goes, I value them as a human, not their usefulness to me. I value them because God values them and I have relationship with them, not because of what they can or cannot give me. Here is a perfect example. Jesus comes over to her where she was dumped and he stands there and he says, so Jesus asked her, where are they? Has no one condemned you? Where are they? Your accusers, your accusers was probably added later by the copyist, but... Um, verse 11, she answered, no one, Lord. And Jesus said to her, neither am I condemning you. Go and sin no more. Never again believe a lie about yourself. The word translated sin here, which is hamartia or hamartia, um, negative or without, and meros, portion or form, thus a distorted pattern, the root of sin being a distorted pattern or a lie. That he's saying to her, people go, in this story they say, well, Jesus came and, 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 and you know, he he. He told the accusers, you know, he drew the line in the sand, and then he said to her, go and sin no more. Jesus wasn't saying, don't go. He didn't say, go and stop committing adultery, even though that's a part of the overflow of stopping to, you know, when you end and stop believing lies about yourself. Jesus was more concerned with, what does this woman have to believe about herself in order for her to be continually, habitually committing adultery? So Jesus says to her, go and sin no more. And the root Greek here is actually, I want you to stop believing lies about yourself. I'm going to take this a step further. I want you to stop allowing your mind to embrace all of the insults, all of the names, all of the things like Velcro. In other words, it is time for you to rewire how you see yourself and think about yourself. Anytime sin is mentioned in the Bible, it is about a change of mind. Repentance is what? A change of mind. Sin is a lie you believe about yourself. It is something that's attached itself to you that isn't true. It is something like a sand spur that gets caught on your socks or your pants. It attaches itself. It's along for the ride. And repentance is to change our mind, to not allow those lies and those distortions of who we are to stay attached to us any longer, to get rid of anything negative that would disparage the creation that Jesus created in me and you. That's what this means. Well, if that doesn't set you free right there, I don't know what will. I know that's a lot, but that's it right there. And so Jesus says, don't, don't stop believing the lie. And the actual translation is, never again believe a lie about yourself. This is where I ended up with, with our group on, on Wednesday. There's, there's a lot of new stuff here, but on Wednesday, I ended up here. I said, if we can learn to begin to change, to remind ourselves that our brains are wired to allow negative experiences, negative words, labels, disparaging labels, past experiences, past decisions 
to attach itself like Velcro does, if we can become aware of that and begin to figure out a way to know that we're predisposed to those things. So some of the things we talked about are, and I'm going to kind of get to these three steps in a moment, is you know who the negative people are in your life. This is very important. You look straight ahead right now. This is very, do not side eye. Don't lean one way or another. This is, just trust me. This is relationship 101. Do not even gesture. Don't, this is not time to scratch your nose or anything like that, okay? You know who the negative people are in your life. And you know that they have a history of bringing negativity into you and into your life and your patterns. If you know that somebody or something is constantly bringing negative experiences to you, and you know that we are predisposed, pre-wired to attach, like Velcro, our minds to those negative experiences, with that knowledge of knowing, hey, I'm predisposed to not let this go. I have a very kind piece of advice. Considering rearranging who you hang out with. Because right now, I'll tell you this, right now in my life, in my personal life, everybody in my life, for the most part, everybody in my life except for one, is fairly positive encouraging. So if I have 25 people in a week that are like my main people that I'm talking to, people like Michael, he's not the one. <laughs> right? I have 20, Jim, every conversation I have with Jim is positive, stuff we love, mom, Aaron, whatever, all this stuff. I have one, one person in my life right now who's not positive. Which one do you think occupies my mind? So what did we, we do? Knowing that, well, I'll just get more people that are positive around me. It doesn't seem to work. <laughs> it doesn't seem to work. I have to literally begin to realize that both science and the word of God agree. It actually says in the word of God that we should renew our minds every morning. Uh, one of the scriptures that uh, I have at the end here that I'll read now, listen to this. It says this. It says Whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Even the word of God says, dwell on positive things. Why? Because neuroscience and the word of God are coming together saying, because we need to obsess and savor the good stuff because our minds naturally repel the good stuff and attach itself to the negative stuff. So together, the word of God and scientists are saying, we need to become so um, intentional about focusing on what is good happening in our life because we, if we don't, what is negative in our life will dominate. If 10% negative and 90% uh, positive, we're going to let that 10% run the show. We are. It's not because you're like a negative person. It's not because you're not strong enough to stand up to negativity. Negative things, no matter who you are, how strong you are, how spiritually, emotionally mature, negative things, if allowed to connect like Velcro to your brain, will dominate your thought process. Dominate your emotions. Dominate your other relationships. 
Anybody ever been mad at somebody else but got nasty with the person that they're actually good with? And then that person's like, what's going on? And then you've convinced yourself that they're the problem too. But you go to the bathroom and you sit down with your phone and you get to thinking to yourself and you say, that's really not the problem. This other person was the problem. I just got so mad that I just start projecting on everybody else. It starts affecting like cancer and eating away at your relationships because of one negative thing. Here's what I believe both science and the word of God and scripture that can be backed up both ways. It is a three-step process. Are you ready? I should charge extra for this, okay? (laughs) It is notice, shift, and rewire. You should be writing that down. Notice, Notice, shift, and rewire. That is how you begin to change. Number one, notice. Notice that you have a bias towards negativity. It's simple as this. You know how when you're driving a certain car, all of a sudden you start seeing that car everywhere? They didn't sell more of those cars in the last day since you bought it. They didn't like go, everybody, let's concentrate. Um, Ford Tauruses, Ford 1994 Ford Tauruses, white in the Sarasota area. We just had a sale down there and we want her to think that this is the right car for her. That's not what goes on, right? It's, it's a bias that you, it just switches one day and all of a sudden you're like, wow, the world is full of the same car I have and the same color. This is, works the same way. We have a bias towards negativity. So notice the first step to bring awareness to uh, this very ordinary, all of us habit, habit that we all have, is catch yourself when you slip into self-doubt, when you're ruminating negative, negativity, anxiety, and fear. Notice when your mind starts spinning out worst case scenarios and how it's all going to come crashing apart. If you're in the phase where your mind is thinking of all the worst case scenarios, we lie to ourselves and think, well, I'm just thinking of the worst case scenarios so that I'm prepared, no. You are beginning the process of allowing your mind to like Velcro attached to a negative situation. When you start working through all the scenarios that can go wrong, all the ways this is going to come crashing down, the Velcro is locked. So before you start to do that, or when you start to do that, stop yourself and say, no, I am not going to allow this to attach itself to my mind. I can't believe he said that after all of the things and don't do it. Number two, shift. Notice, be, be aware. My mind has this, all of us, my mind has this, this bias towards negative things. It attaches itself like Velcro to me and, I, and I'm, gonna, I'm gonna avoid negativity as much as I can with the understanding that you can't go through life without having negative experiences. So the ones that do come my way I'm gonna stop myself before the Velcro gets attached. Number two, shift. Shift to a moment of gratitude. Shifting allows you to flood your brain with more productive focus of attention. A few seconds of gratitude is the most efficient way to do this. Think of one thing you're grateful for, your home, your job, your health, your family, your talents and strength, your drive, whatever it may be. Think about one thing that you're, you are, so, It's notice, shift. So I notice I'm going into a negative thought pattern. I I feel like this is going to attach itself to me. I feel like this is going to last a long time. I'm going to stop for a moment. And instead of thinking about this thing that's trying to attach itself to my heart and my mind, 
I'm going to focus on something that actually is good in my life. Every one of us can find one thing good. You're sitting here today, you're saying, I can't find anything good. Listen, I'm your pastor. That's good. Okay, see, everybody's got something good, okay? Just kidding. The visitor's gonna be like, this guy is, you know, needs more neuroscience than what he's saying up there. Um, no, think of something that is positive in your life and focus on that. The third thing is rewire. Do you know how we rewire our brains? We spend time savoring, thinking. You know people who really love food? Some of you are looking at me. It's not me. Thank you. Back there, we got somebody that really loves food. And when they eat, they're making noises and sounds. It's so, it can be so like, oh, Lord, mm. oh, man, oh. And they just take another, oh, Lord Jesus, mm. oh, yes. Mm. Now, where did you say, how you make, how did you make this? Oh, yes, oh, and another bite. And it's just, you can just tell they, they're savoring every bite of that. In that moment of them savoring, they couldn't think of a negative thing if they wanted to. They're just savoring it. So when somebody comes up to you and says, hey, uh, the other day in the office, um, you know, you made those copies for me, and I really appreciate it. That person could be the worst uh, colleague you have, the person that you avoid at all costs because they're always creating problems for you. Take a moment, instead of going, yeah, it, now she's going to thank me, now he's going to thank me for doing the copies, but what about the last three weeks of hell he's put me through? In that moment, go, you know what? I'm going to think about, that was nice of him to come back to me and thank me, to be grateful. Well, he's been ungrateful a hundred different times. Now he wants to be grateful? Taking a moment to savor 15 seconds Add to the 15 seconds we normally do, you're going to double your time. This is what neuro, this is not me. This is what neuroscientists say. This is very interesting. He call, this guy calls out the simple act of savoring. It takes 15 seconds to stay with this new mindset, to encode it deep into the fabric of your mind. The last step is where we transform our ordinary habit of overlooking the positive. It's where we shift the brain's response to all the good in life from Teflon to Velcro. We're flipping our evolved wiring on its head and taking just a few seconds to build stronger memories around all the good things happening in life. Uh, at the end of the day, if you have a, a partner, a person, um, a spouse in your life, try at the end of the day, instead of talking about all the things that went wrong at work, not that you can't decompress, take a moment out and say, hey, what, what's the top three like best things that happened today. See how that changes and shifts the mood of your household or the date you're on or whatever it is. Instead of starting with, well, I've had a doozy of a day. Well, you know what? We all have doozies of days every day, it seems like, if we want to talk about that part of it. But we can find somewhere in the day something or a couple of things or three things to discuss and talk about and by talking about them with another person, we're actually rewiring our brain that it becomes over time where it's like Teflon with negative thoughts and like Velcro with positive thoughts. 
And if you've ever met somebody that always seems to be able to enjoy and find happiness in all things, and they just never seem to be bothered, they've over time, they weren't born that way. They over time have learned to rewire their brains to allow it to be Velcro with positive experiences and, negative, and, and Teflon with negative experiences. And when neuroscience and the word of God come together and say, focus on these things, that are positive and productive and encouraging in our lives. Focus on these and every morning remind yourself, renew your mind to the goodness of God. I think we're on to something together. Will you stand to your feet with me and we'll pray? I, I, I want to mention this to you today. Um, we... Uh, we, in our most recent um, experience here as a church, um, we have become, both on our website and um, from the pulpit, of course, for years I've been going down this road, but we've become um, very, very public and clear with our inclusivity. And that doesn't just mean the LGBTQ community, which is a part of it, but we want everyone out there uh, the new signs that we put up actually have the updated pride flag that have um, both the trans community and people of color, the black and brown brothers and sisters that are out there. We really want any marginalized group of people, any group of people that have had great injustices done to them. It doesn't discount us white folks, okay? All right, we're, 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 you, are, you are welcome here, I promise you that. But these other communities that at times have been disparaged, marginalized, hurt by the church, um, we've recently made that clear. We have received, without going into details, an enormous amount of negative negativity. If I tell you that I'm living this out right now and I have proven this to be true, without going into detail, trust me, the days I decide to concentrate spend my time thinking about stories like the young lady that I read today, a Navy veteran. When I focus on that, I have a great day. When I focus on negative people and negative things and then my day somehow just follows it, everything goes wrong. I wanna tell you this church, we as a church are going to spend, let me think about it, this much time on the negativity. Do you hear me? This much time on the negativity. It's not going to be spoken about in church. There's not going to be passive aggressive things on Facebook or Instagram. This much time. All we're going to do is move forward with what God has called us to do, and that is to love his children. <laughs> love his children well. So if you're a part of the rumor mill of negativity, get yourself out of it. It's going to destroy your week, destroy your time, remove yourself from it. Jump back into thinking positive and encouraging. We have an amazing future as a church. We have an amazing future as an organization. Harvest House has an amazing future. We're going to move in over here, have just an incredible space to love people well throughout the week to become a hot spot for some of the cultural and artistic things that are happening in Sarasota. Our admin offices will be there. Our church service will be there Sunday morning. We have classrooms. We have such a beautiful place to go into. Aaron is like this close to 
to raising enough money to build it with no mortgage. Like we have great things happening here at this church and with this organization. And that's what we're gonna focus on. Who in the middle of a pandemic and in the middle of all the craziness of the last couple of years builds a almost $3 million building with cash and look around the parking lot at the cars that are being driven here? You would say, these people couldn't raise $100,000, let alone 3 million 30 times that. We have some miraculous things that are happening and a lot of hard work, <laughs> a lot of hard work. And that's what we're going to focus on and you know what our goal is? Our goal is, is that this year, our Christmas Eve Eve, we're gonna do it again on Eve Eve service that people look forward to every year, is gonna be in there. And it's gonna be lit up and beautiful and amazing. I'm actually holding these two back a day from going on vacation early. <laughs> I said, can you wait? I said, your family can wait an extra day so she'll be here for Christmas Eve Eve. But that's what's going to happen. So we have an amazing do me a favor, collectively and individually, spend this much time on negative things and spend your time and emotion on the good things that are happening here and in your life and rewire our brains to no longer let negative things attach itself like Velcro, but that we would be magnets for positive things, positive people, and positive experiences. Sounds good? Father, we thank you today. We ask you to bless your people, bless all that we are doing together um, as a community, and we just thank you for your goodness. And Lord, as we leave here today, let us be moved with compassion uh, for those around us and let us be moved to no longer allow negative things to attach themselves to us and to remain grateful and joyous about the good things that are happening in our lives so that we can share that with the world. In Jesus' name, and everyone says, amen. amen. Love you guys. See you next week. Oh yeah. Hey guys, real quick. If you would like to see, hold on guys, real quick. If you'd like to see the new facility, Aaron and I and our leadership group here is gonna meet you over there. So if you wanna go, head over there. We'll give you a quick tour of what's happening. It's beautiful, it's pretty much done. Wait on a couple of details, but come check out the new building and new facility. We'd love to see you over there.